we put our heads together to both reimagine and lift the bar on what a modern motocross helmet should be. Opt for the highest level of modern technology and energy dispersion with the Fly Racing Formula Helmet. Designed for an elevated defense against a wider range of real-world impact scenarios. Globally engineered with the most advanced materials and technologies available. Outfit yourself with proven technology, lightweight performance, and elevated impact management with the Fly Racing Formula Helmet. Are right, you listening to the Swap Moto Fly Racing Podcast? Uh, today I'm co-hosted with our friend Mike Sleeter, who handles much of the motocross bike testing with us. And uh, we are at Intense Bikes in Temecula, California with founder Jeff Stieber. So, uh, Jeff, thanks for having us today. Uh, super excited to sit here and pick your brain a little bit. Yeah, um, thanks for coming down. I'm excited to do this, and um, it's always fun to have Sleet Dog here. <laughs> and um, so it should be a good show. Yeah, so Sleeter, you've been an Intense rider slash ambassador slash racer for several years now. Yeah, I, was, uh, I started a customer. Honestly, I, I was going to roll into it with that. You know, I was a fan of the brand in the 90s, being a moto guy with, you know, the Heritage McGrath and Fro and all these guys. I just didn't know how to get into being a part of the intense brand. And I, I was more XC-centric, not downhill. And um, I, the, I actually bought one of their team riders, original tracer tracers from them. It was Tyler Wilson's tracer. He didn't race anymore. And he's had it up for sale, and I bought it, and I just got the, like, the, it was one by ten, like, full. <laughs> it was heavy, and I started riding skid marks locally and um, got the bug of just from XC into trail bikes, you know, which is now enduro riding, all mountain, and um, came down and bought my first car, the first carbon, uh, carbon carbine mm -hmm. from Jeff personally, and I was hooked. That was, like, I was hooked and started racing my brains out every weekend. So, Jeff, uh Intense has always been present in motocross for as long as I can remember, the brand at least. Were you a former motocross guy or what? how was <laughs> there this connection there? Um, yeah, I've always enjoyed riding motos and I've tinkered around with them a bunch. And back in the day before four strokes were really the thing, you know, I was doing the little XR100, 150 conversions, you know, into CR180 big wheels and stuff, you know, and making cool pit bikes and things just for playing around with. But um, but really, I think it was uh, a couple of things. One was proximity, being out here. Um, you know, I started in Lake Elsinore, and so, you know, pretty much in the hub of the, the Inland M Empire and the 909 at the time, you know, were pretty much... You know, if, if you were in Supercross, you lived in the area yeah. and the proximity to all the tracks and test tracks within, you know, um, a, a few miles of the place um, just really kind of opened the door to the, the whole moto crowd. And, you know, um, you can think back to those days um, when conditioning and training was, you know, was becoming just as important as riding skills and in the equipment itself. And so a lot of guys were cross-training, you know, through riding um, road bikes and, and mountain bikes, you know. Mm -hmm. And so it just kind of came naturally. And so, um, you know, kind of being in the heart of the, the IE here um, opened a lot of doors right away. And so um, I just, you know, it was, I guess, a little bit of being in the right place at the right time, opportunity, 
um, also. And, um, you know, we just had really cool bikes at the time. And I think it caught the eyes of, you know, they had shocks on them. And, you know, it was kind of um, the moto guys related to it, you know, in a bigger way. And, you know, we I had guys riding um that were mountain bikers and, and just cyclists in general, like uh, Mike Metzger and uh, Randy Lawrence. Yep. And um, you can't um, leave out Palmer, Sean Palmer, when mm -hmm. you're talking about motos and mountain bikes and anything on two wheels. Um, and that was a big influence too, because those guys were kind of in the hub of both, you know, of, of mountain bikes and moto. And um, so it did open a lot of doors, mm -hmm. yeah. Who was the first, quote-unquote, big-name moto guy that you were associated with? Was it was it Emig? Well, I would have to say it was Metzger, Mike mm -hmm. Metzger, um, because he was always like, a, you know, you always saw him at the dirt jumps on his BMX bike, and, you know, he was um, he was really just into riding bikes um, in general. Would that have been in the Mike Metzger the racer phase, Mike Metzger the freestyle guy? That was or Mike um, Metzger retired to race mountain bikes, and <laughs> he's had so many careers. Yeah, so that was um, he was racing kind of privateerish, I guess, a little bit. Um, and you know, I think he was out at those days. This is like early 90s, mm -hmm. you know, when he was doing a supercross, he was doing going big mm -hmm. on the jumps and doing tricks and stuff, you know. But uh, yeah. and he was on the cusp of that, the freestyle um, godfather of freestyle motocross. And um, in that time period, he was probably my first team rider that I sponsored. And he actually did um, a lot of the local races, which, believe it or not, the Fontana Southridge Series um, was starting about the same time that I started. So he would do those, you know, on the Intense Factory team. He did the uh, Norban Nationals and traveled to some of the U.S. national races. And... Um, you know, with Mike, it was either he did good or he crashed kind of thing. It was all out or nothing. But, um, you know, didn't train or condition or anything. Just had that natural raw talent. And some of the other guys on the team that were more in the training and practicing and conditioning, just it was funny because he would come down and blow their times away all the time. And they're just like, what the heck? You know, this guy doesn't practice or anything. You know, mm -hmm. he just had the raw talent. Um, so anyway, that was that era. And actually, I think... Mike really introduced me to RL and to Sean um, Palmer, brought them over. And then the, kind of that era, the rest is kind of history with Palmer and, and Randy and stuff. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, so Intense was founded in 93? I, I would say officially, I say 93. Um, you know, I was dabbling with it and playing probably starting the late, um, like, 88, 89, 90. Um, you know, just part-time prototypes in the garage, that sort of thing. But 93 was when I officially went full-time, incorporated, did my first trade show, which was the Interbike Show. Um, it was in Vegas that year at the Hilton Convention Center. Um, and I, I do remember that time vividly because, um, you know, I, I had um, booked a little 10 by 10 or a 12 by 12 booth just a tiny little booth and I had to get all my bikes and frames ready to put in there to pack in there and I mean I pretty much spent the bank and I think I had about $300 in my pocket and to my name by the time I showed up in Vegas and got set up 
Um, interesting story, though, because at the show there, um, you know, I'm, it was an international show. I set up all my first international distributors and dealers, sold all my samples and product. I left there with kind of the seed money to start Intense um, after that show. So, um, and I'll have to say, um, I picked up my first um international distributor was a couple from Japan that had a they distributed and imported um, at the time you know custom bike parts were a big thing mm-hmm. um, and they're out of Osaka and the orders I got from them kept me probably is about all I could handle for the first year really <laughs> they kept me wow. busy enough yeah and it's interesting I'm still friends with them today you know That's it's like awesome. we're, yeah it's um, many years later but but that was kind of the breakout 1993 i kind of put on the books as the the founding year for sure well, well that's interesting you say like to this day you're friends with them and i think that's part of the intense like family the intense for life family is when you're riding an intense bike i feel you're part of a culture part of a family part of a brand and i know that like i said i was a customer and then you have rl still on the bikes and palmer when he rides he's still on intense and it's I think that's part of the success that I see is it's it's like a family and you keep those relationships with your finger on the pulse. Yeah, there's definitely um, some rich heritage there that goes way back, um, you know, not only in the product and like um, we do have customers that have been what we like to call intense for life. Um, and then with the racing, you know, we started as a racing brand, um, and we're build, building bikes and products for the racers, you know, to help them go faster kind of thing. And, you know, if anything is the DNA of the brand that's kind of stuck with us through the years is that is racing is our core. It's our true North for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm laughing when you were saying something about the bike customization, and everything. So around 93 is when I had my first mountain bike obsession with my dad because mostly to ride with him but all we would do was go to the bike shop every chance we got and look at what new purple or blue anodized part we could get (laughs) that was like big in that time right oh for sure um in fact the really like you know solid uh, cottage industry of like little custom component manufacturers were in that orange county area um uh, Tribuco Canyon, Santiago mm-hmm. Canyon area there, uh, Grafton, Ringley, um, Action Tech, you know, Intense, Mantis back in the day. I mean, there was a bunch of them, uh, Cook Brothers, Cranks, you know, mm-hmm. you name it, making trick parts in all your favorite colors, you know, <laughs> <laughs> turquoise, purple, you know, emerald green, you name it, all anodized and bright. For sure, it was... Um, and, you know, it was interesting back then, um, people would buy a frame, and then it was it was kind of a hobby, and then you would trick it out with all the cool, you'd, you'd hand-pick everything and build this really trick bike. Um, it seems like, you know, as um, the sport and the companies um, kind of behind the brands progressed, nowadays that isn't so much the thing because the actual components from like, you know, the manufacturers have become so good, just the straight stuff and, and what the bikes are specced with that there's not as much of a need for that anymore, but there's still a lot of guys that love doing it. I mm-hmm. do. I personally do. It's, it's yeah. a 
yeah, passion. That's kind of how we kind of hit it off of the, our friendship, Jeff, is, you know, I bought this, my first bike, Don. It was a Carbine 26. It was the first carbon frame of Intense. Correct me if I'm wrong. The, That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I got it, and I rode it, and then, you know, I was all stoked, and I brought it down here. I was super excited. Like, like I can, now let's take a step back and look. I'm like, what a dork. What a dork. <laughs> like, Andrew, AVZ, he's a sales guy here. He's like, hey, Mike, like, got me the bike, and I built it up, and I'm like, hey man my bike's all done you want to see it you know and he's like yeah bring it down like they've never seen their bike before <laughs> and it was one of the newer but it was like i built it one off you know my fork my stuff and that was not that long ago. was that uh, 10 years ago 11 years ago now yeah he, it, well, it, it, it is a long time ago but yeah. you know then, and i then i custom painted one it was yeah. like orange and blue jeff f- did some photos with it and i was customizing my bikes making them my own but now you go fast forward nine years from that orange and blue bike that I got painted by Tagger, mm-hmm. I don't touch my bikes. They come, they come like you said, kind of like ready to race. Like you know, I I don't touch them. So yeah. it's kind, it's kind of the the fun of it, it to build it is is kind of gone because they come so good. You know. Yeah, go back thirty years. It was very different. Yeah, and that was, you know, from day one intense. Um, I only built full suspension bikes i never really built hardtails so right away um established intense cycles as you know we were the suspension bike brand Mm -hmm. full suspension um from day one and um kind of never looked back on that so you know again call it timing or whatever but i guess because my um you know roots in experience in motocross and you know hey if i'm gonna ride off road i'm gonna have suspension right so i didn't even think about the you know, hey, I'm doing hardtails or anything mm-hmm. first. It was full suspension all the way and then improving that and making it better. Okay, I know that you personally, your fingerprint, your DNA is on all the suspension designs, correct? Well, the- yeah. I mean, I'm really actively involved in, in different times throughout the history of Intense. have played different roles within that, but... But we do have a pretty um, solid R&D team, and mm-hmm. we all have our strengths. And we, um, I like to say these days the whole is more a sum of the parts kind of a, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. an effect. Um, and that works really well. And um, we all know um, how to complement each other really well within that. And so the products just keep getting better and better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, really initially, exciting. though, was it, was it all your... Yeah, I did everything, yeah. you know, I mean, uh, answer the phone, sweep the floors, you know, <laughs> small business Design guy. Design the linkage. Yeah, everything. Um, and, um, you know, when you look back in the early 90s, uh, CNC machines and this sort of thing, like it's all kind of hygiene now within industries. But um, that was kind of a new thing, and especially in a smaller, you know, in, in it's one thing in Detroit, the big auto manufacturers or big factories, but for little guys to have access and and actually push the limits of what CNC machines were doing at the time. And I don't know if it was just my eye for design or wanting to do things a little differently or better, uh, being an innovator. Right away, um, my bikes didn't look like your conventional bicycles with three tubes welded together and, you know, very kind of old school, stuck in the way of traditional bike frame building. And so right away there were CNC machine parts and sealed bearings and, you know, I did it the right way from the beginning. So, again, that did establish Intense as being kind of a leader in that. Um, I used um, hydroformed aluminum pieces to mm-hmm. create structures in the frame that, you know, everyone was using round tubes. 
And so... Um, is that what is that where the, the VPP, correct me if I'm wrong, that's your concept and design. You created that type of linkage system that you're still using today on the on the bikes? Well, going back a, um, a few years, initially our bikes, um, and, and from day one, I didn't want to go with a kind of archaic suspension system. Um, so even from the first bikes I built were four bar, which at the time were kind of the cutting edge style of suspension design, and then just tweaking it to kind of my, you know, the geometry and the suspension kinematics and everything, um, using coil shocks and linkages on mountain bikes. Um, and then some years down the line, this is probably early 2000s, we were contacted by Santa Cruz Bicycles who had purchased the um, VPP patent from another company that had actually designed and developed it. And they were looking for, you know, intents to help endorse it because we were like the suspension guys. And um, I always liked the system, but it, you know, needed a little bit of work to make it um, function a little better in the real world. And so right away, we kind of became the sole licensee with, with Santa Cruz. So only Santa Cruz and, and 10 Cycles had the true VPP um, system. Mm. Um, and that was a uh, licensing contract for like 13 years. And that's Virtual Pivot Point? Is that the? That's what it stands for. Okay, yep. um, w today, that, that contract and, and the patents on it expired. And so, you know, it gave us as intense a lot more latitude to experiment and, and to, to uh, uh, you know, improve, move forward with it in a different direction. And so that's what we've done. We still use a multi-link, um, dual link, um, counter-rotating links, and it's a f what I call a floating pivot design, which in layman's is a virtual pivot. Mm -hmm. um, so um, same what I call a fourth generation suspension design. Um, and when you pair that with the modern day shocks, um, you know, the, the high end top of the line shocks, um, rear shocks, um, you have something pretty magical there. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. really cool. Hey, Sleater, you know what's kind of strange is that, like, if you look at a motocross bike, right, now that the KTM has a linkage, I mean, most motocross bikes, systems are similar. You know, they, they follow the same principles, different link links, pull rods, etc. Mountain biking especially in the, the the advent of rear suspension were so many crazy crazy like systems you saw right like what the san andreas had elastomers instead of a shock and then i the, agree some shocks under the top tube some up and down but the even, lefty on the cannondale yeah, yeah but even so bicycle suspension hasn't streamlined into one like-minded principle well, I'll tell you, um, there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, with bicycles, being that they're basically human-powered, you don't have horsepower and tons of torque there. Um, it is, it's your legs and your body and your fitness, that sort of thing. So there's always been the, um, the last thing you want is for the suspension to rob any of your power that goes to the pedals. So, um, and I will say, back in the days when Intense started, I was very... Um, aware of this and um, some of the early suspension bikes and they were probably from the bigger manufacturers that used elastomers and things very uh, simple systems um, the kinematics were very poorly designed so that actually when you pedaled it would be absorbed into the suspension uh -huh. so they felt really sluggish and 
you know, this, uh, the term was pogo because every time you'd put torque into the chain, it would suck the suspension, mm-hmm. cause it to compress. Wow. So you got this pogo effect. And so right away, that was one of the, you know, that was opportunity for me with Intense. It's like, let's design a system that doesn't do that and is still very active and compliant in the bumps. And so from day one, we've always used a, a system that separates the two really well. And so that's why you do see a lot of differences. You can make very simple single pivot point mountain bikes that perform okay. Um, or with some of the modern shock technology, actually perform pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, with mountain bikes, too, being that you don't have tons of torque and that sort of thing on the, I mean, the human can, body, you know, you a, a strong athlete can put out a certain amount of, you know, um, horsepower to the pedals. Um, but at the same time, um, we're able to play around with wheel path and a lot of other things, um, to help the bike maintain momentum through Mm -hmm. the bumps too. And so all these years of working with Intense, working on kind of the ultimate suspension design that kind of does a good balancing job of all of those things is where we've kind of landed today. Um, And, you know, I'll talk to some motocross or motorcycle suspension guys and, you know, they're going, wow, if we could get away with that on a motorcycle through the whoops or the rough stuff you know where the wheel trajectory is actually away from the bump force like on our mountain bikes so it the rear wheel isn't hanging up every time you hit a bump it's not moving forward into it um and obviously on motorcycles that's where it's very important that the chain line and axle and where the your your front counter shaft and everything so that the chain pull and torque isn't every time you hit the throttle isn't sucking the suspension up you know and losing that forward drive at the same time the wheel every time it it reacts to a bump or hits a square edge is actually swinging forward into the bump force instead of away from it yeah so that's that's interesting all this data all this information on setups Mm -hmm. um we just tested the 2020 honda last friday friday thursday thursday and we were taught me and dom were talking about on that podcast about the bikes are getting so good that we don't really have to change much. His question to me is, what would you change on this bike? And I was like a seat cover and maybe grips, <laughs> right? Legitimately. Yeah. Contact points. Yeah. And, and and I feel that the the moto industry is okay with that. But I feel the mountain bike industry, in the, they're very message board oriented even more than moto. They want to know. They're very technical, right? They're very technical on what they want for parts very data oriented compared to the dirt biker. Is that something that you see kind of happening is the consumer wants to try this or try that, this shock and this fork, and they might mess up a platform that your R and D crew worked really hard on because there's too many options to buy. <laughs> well, you see that occasionally where someone will take something that works really well. and You know, you see that in motocross too, and just tweak it all around to where it like is really bad. Um, but, um, that is one of the fun things I think of the sport. It's, it can be what you want it to be. Um, most racers are always after seconds, you know, fractions of a second. Um, when you're racing downhill mountain bikes, I mean, races are won and lost by hundreds of a second, Mm -hmm. you know, and the competition is so tight these days that you're literally doing everything you can to help the racer, ride faster and more consistently fast all the time and pushing it further and further to the edge, you know. Um, so it is very techy in that 
that sense. And, mm-hmm. and the sure. cost isn't as high as a dirt bike where your motor's unemployed. You're like, you can buy some ba- – I mean, bearing races, the average moto guy doesn't change their bearing races, right? They would they would never go and change – they buy clamps. But in mountain bike, you'll change – you got a guy to do bearing races from Cane Creek, and he gets an offset stem, and he – goes to a 10 mil longer fork like you're not messing with that with dirt bikes but these guys you go to the top of the hill locally and you have the same brand and these guys are 10 mil different in travel they're different races it's 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 quite dynamic yeah and um you know uh, i would say even at the amateur level people that are just in, really into riding and you know strava racers you name it they're chasing seconds you know and when you get up to the professional like world cup racing for sure, there's a lot of individual setup, different tracks, track conditions are always changing. Um, it's very inconsistent, you know. I mean, you could be practicing on a dry track and then it rains overnight, and it's, you know, that's uh, a whole new animal. Um, and and bike setup is completely different on race day, you know. So you got to have um, your program pretty dialed to keep the guys going fast and on the podium, um, and just um, yeah, it, it, there's a lot to it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Hey Jeff, what is the slogan out front painted on the wall? The new mission statement is like. Well, if you go off, but I always revert back to racing is our true north. Yeah, racing that, is our true north. That's so. my, you know, I mean, and that's that's kind of something we discovered in um, more recent years when we really started looking back at ourselves and our brand and what really defines it, so that we can perfect that and really focus more moving forward yeah because most of the like if you go to your website and stuff most of the 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 promotional stuff is race centric right you don't see pictures of like a mom in sweatpants with a helmet riding an intense you see people hauling ass on them and jumping them and you know being competitive on them so is that the the ultimate consumer you're after as well well I would say that's, you know, where the brand was born um, mm-hmm. and kind of where our heads are. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean that anyone can't pick up an intense. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I think people aspire to um, and are influenced by racing. Yeah. Um, it's just, like I said, that's kind of where our hearts are with within mountain biking. And, you know, we use racing for a lot of different reasons. And one of the biggest ones is, um, and we were just on that subject, is product innovation Mm -hmm. at the highest level. And so the race teams that we work with, whether it's the IFR, Intense Factory Racing Team, or the Intense um, um, uh, Enduro Collective, um, that program doing the um, Enduro World Series, um, you know, the information we get from them um, kind of at the cutting edge, the bleeding edge of the sport um, under the top pros um, is instrumental into, you know, our design process. And then that trickles down, you know, um, sometimes, you know, from what, say, Aaron Gwynn's racing to what we actually put out to the market. Might I'm not going to say Intense doesn't water down our product mm-hmm. at all, really. I mean... But at the same time, it's, um, it is something that's going to make the normal weekend warrior kind of guy, a core rider, um, ride that much better, faster, farther, that sort of thing. You, you know what's cool about that, Don, is it's before my time because I'm so young, you know, almost. <laughs> <laughs> no, is um, the factory motorcycles, man. It was before my time, like a true factory bike. 
I didn't get to experience like Ricky and Osho and Brock Glover and all mm-hmm. these Lachine, all these guys showing up to the races on a true blown hand built motorcycle, yeah, works bike, yeah. a works bike. Where these guys are, I got to go see the IFR team and Intense Factory Racing team. They're like Gwyn's full works bike. Yeah. And like then, like you said, it does trickle back. So that that's kind of cool. You, we don't have that in moto anymore. Mm-hmm. You know what I've noticed? Uh, well, obviously it's a lo- location thing, you know. But when we ride the hills here, it's almost like eighty percent of people are on an intense right at your home trails. Yep. And you think about that in moto terms, right? Like if you go ride LA County and Gorman, a lot of guys wearing O'Neill gear. Or fast Oscar, because that's where the headquarters is, right? Um, right when Saddleback was open, everyone wore Fox, right? Uh, that's that's how it is. And in like San Diego County, a lot of people used to wear one or yep, Thor. Exactly. It's like what's available there. I don't feel like people are all riding intenses on these aggressive trails back here because it's close to here. I think it's because it's the brand's reputation. Yeah, I, I I'd agree. I think you know they've done a good job, Jeff and his crew, and like the uh, the guys that all work here ride. Yeah, like that's oh. a big thing. Like yeah. Chappie, Chappie's Chappie. me so fast that <laughs> they, my hair went they forward. They do. And, um, there's a core bunch of riders yeah. here in all different disciplines. Yeah, AVZ might not ever leave Hemet in Simpson Park, but he is one of the fastest guys. Can do the longest manuals, and they're just silent assassins. They don't like. Mm-hmm. They don't care about putting their face forward. They just want to ride ride awesome bikes, and they've taught me a lot about bicycles, the guys at Intense, and they influence this network. But, yeah, the, the bikes, I mean, like I said, I am biased because I've been a consumer and now ambassador, but um, it, I get a lot of questions sitting atop of Distortion or 215 mm-hmm. of, like, what's new on the bike and what's what I like and let, let people go down the hill on my bike. And they are they are built for this area. Like, the first one of the first downhill bikes I had was the 951. Yeah. Right, like the yeah. 951 DH bike, and then you know, you have the we used to do intense tires, yeah, and all the different compounds and treads. And we had a 909 tire, which was kind of like your dry <laughs> condition, <laughs> you know, it was SoCal flat, tire flat up top, like a bill, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey, so the uh, the company's had some like internal structural changes lately, and so there's some investors that are heavily uh involved in motocross, right? So you have. <clears throat> Excuse me, you have Jeff Myshak, who's Honda in, Geico. Honda yeah. Geico, uh, Geico Honda team owner. Yeah. So as a result, all of the Geico Honda riders are racing, riding and training on intense bikes. Um, prior to that, though, you were still a team sponsor of the Star Racing Yamaha team, correct? Yeah, and actually a lot of the mechanics and the guys over at um, Geico Honda were already intense, too. Yeah. And over the years, I mean... Back to our conversation earlier, way back, um, we were probably, I, I'm going to just say it, we were like the first mountain bike brand to really embrace the moto teams, mm-hmm. and we used to be out there with a lot of the guys, um, you know, Jeff Emig was a big, very early on, um, to throw a name out there, and Jeff still is, he's an ambassador, rides intense, and loves riding mountain bikes, now um, even more so with his son. Jagger, so you know it's kind of a neat thing to see that come full circle. Um, I guess it was a year ago, summer. Um, we spent a week up at Mammoth during Mammoth Motocross, and uh, with my wife and my daughter, and and Jeff and Jagger came up, and um, we rode mountain bikes and e-bikes, and we were all over the mountain. It was just a blast. Yeah, so he still gets out there and does that a lot. 
in his full face. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's always wearing the full face. Yeah, no, like going to the star guys, like. Yeah, yeah, I see. I see. It's really cool seeing you know Colt Nichols like stars are, are arguably one of the strongest teams in the pits. It it is the strongest team. It's, it goes without saying. But seeing at our local XC series over here in Orange County over the hump, you, you know Swanepoel's got his crew out there with you know Cooper was out there last week and Colt Nichols. Um, they're racing. They're racing intense bicycles, and you guys made that new you know developed that new sniper, and it's really cool to see that that XC bike you know being you know put to use by these moto guys not just hung up in the garage yeah i think for a long time um people just thought intense was all about gravity and downhill but you know through the years we've always made a full like all the segments of bikes um and in recent years we never had a full like race spec cross-country bike and honestly i think it a little bit of it was the influence from the moto guys because they like to train on XC bikes because mm-hmm. it's more endurance and you know fitness conditioning type of stuff that they do on mountain bikes, and so that was an ex- extra little kicker for us to do the sniper, which is it's a full on World Cup caliber um, race am- machine. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's right in there the weight target everything, and so a lot of the guys saw that and right away it's like that's their bike of choice for training on for sure. So interesting. We'll touch on that Don on the training and Jeff on the moto guy so they ride an XC bike 100 mil travel Chase Sexton's banned from riding the sniper he's, <laughs> yeah. he's put he well, has now, what I hear is that my shack says none of the team Geico riders can ride a sniper they all have to ride tracers and I and I actually agree with him because these guys aren't trying to be racers on XC bikes right. they they're trying to get stronger so if you're carrying you know 26 27 pounds up the hill versus 20 you're going to be stronger. Training. And then going down the hill, which they all like to ride Greer, our local trails. And jump. And jump. You need to be on the right tool <laughs> yeah. for the job. So it's like they, they just don't like that they're so competitive. That's probably why they, they, they don't they want to be faster going up the hill. But in theory, they should be on the trail enduro yeah. bike. So all you moto guys, don't be don't be going 100 mil just, just to – you know, not get beat. You need to ride trail bikes, and the, they're going bikes. after those Strava PRs. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. KOMs. That's where they're at with the with the sniper for sure. So, is there truth to that? That Jeff doesn't want his guys on the snipers. Um, I haven't heard that directly from him, but it's been tossed around a little bit for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those those guys, they do. I see him up the hill, and they're you know the the moto guy. It's it's funny. See him on top of the hill, getting ready to drop in. Like I said, our local trails is real popular around here, and the mountain biker doesn't know who they are and they love it. Like yeah. Chase and Cole, even Mookie, you know, these guys, they, they like the fact that they're just a little bit incognito. Yeah. yeah. They're, 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 they're just another guy riding, you know? Well, and most, w- most I, of those guys are rippers too. Oh you, yeah. You know it. Yeah. yeah Chase Sexton sends it. So I was, I was riding with him at Greer. I would say a week before he got hurt because right at that point was when, Christian broke his finger and Chase got drafted up to West Coast. And we went down overdrive and he sent it. And we met up at the bottom and he goes, I was like, dude, you're psycho. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, maybe I shouldn't send it so hard since I'm West Coast now. And I'll go, yeah, good idea, genius. <laughs> and literally like three days later, he sends it down uh, Trey Lee Trail and, yeah, at Skyline and, and bottomed out on the road and broke his collarbone. Uh, but yeah. May not have happened on a tracer. Probably, Probably wouldn't not. Have happened. Yeah. But he wasn't even as fast up the hill and his travel time would have reflected it. Then he although, even bummed out. Although now, well, like what McAdoo was riding a, a tracer, I believe. Yeah, the other day I, he and Tickle and I rode and they were late, so I started. 
I had to start 15 minutes ahead of them up Skyline, and here comes Sex or McAdoo just blows by me at the top, makes my hair go forward inside my helmet. You know, oh, that guy's strong. McAdoo's but, a strong, strong rider. Yeah. Hey, Swap Moto listeners, this is Zach Osborne, rider for the Rockstar Energy Husqvarna factory racing team. I love my FC 450 race bike, but I also love the FC 350. It has the handling of a 250 and the power of a 450, making it the perfect bike for both professional and amateur riders. Right now, Husqvarna Motorcycles is giving Swap Moto listeners 1,500 reasons to get a brand new FC 350. Hurry into your local authorized Husqvarna Motorcycles dealer to find out more on the limited time offers available to get you on the track today. For over six decades, Scott Motorsports has pushed the limits of innovation, providing our customers with the most advanced technology available. Scott is honored to be the exclusive eyewear sponsor of the Swap Moto Live podcast. Athletes such as Chad Reed, Justin Barsha, and myself, Adam Cientrillo, require the best performance, which is why we choose the Scott Prospect Goggle. Recognized as the number one goggle in racing, Scott is proud to be made in the USA. Check out scott-sports.com to see their complete line of high-performance goggles. Hey guys, Hunter Lawrence here. Lately I've been spending a whole lot of time at the mountain bike trails in the local area on my intense primer, and the thing's badass. For how good it is going up the hill, it's uh, amazing coming down the hill. It's uh, comfortable, nimble, and it doesn't feel uh, like you're going to go over the bars every five seconds. Uh, all their bikes in their lineup are awesome. So, yeah, you ready to get serious about training on a cross-country bike or crushing lap times at your local trails? Or if you want to go a bit further, longer and faster, they, they just brought out a new Taser e-bike, which is, uh, yeah, everyone's given the double thumbs up on. So head down to your local Intense dealer or, or purchase uh, directly at IntenseCycles.com. Check it out, guys. What's up? This is Christian Craig. As a motocross racer, being in top physical shape is a must, and my favorite way to train is cycling. And whether it's road biking or mountain biking, I rely on Roy Cyclery to keep my bikes in perfect running order. Roy Cyclery has been servicing Old Town Upland, California since 1962. Mention the Swap Moto Live podcast for additional discounts in the shop. What's up, Swap Moto fans? The Toyota Escondido Action Sports Team supports some of the biggest racers in the sport, like Aaron Plessinger, Shane McElrath, Dean Wilson, Axel Hodges, Colt Nichols, Brian Deegan, and more. With over two decades of supporting racers, we've become known as the place to buy a Toyota truck in Southern California. Toyota Escondido is a proud sponsor of the Swap Moto Live Show, and all you have to do to get the best deal on a quality Toyota truck is mention the show and tell them you want the action sports special. Check us out online at toyotaescondido.com for more. Riders like Justin Cooper, Don Ferrandis, Eli Tomac, Adam Entingnap, Josh Hansen, and more partner with Works Chassis Lab for engine mounts and other special parts to add comfort to and enhance the handling characteristics of their bikes. With championships and race wins to prove it, Works Chassis Lab Parts provides the winning edge. Visit WorksChassisLab.com for more information. Um, what uh, Do you see any direct uh, sales influence from working with the motocross guys? like, Or do you just get more resumes from local intermediate <laughs> kids? A little bit of both. They're definitely um, influencers, which is important. Um, and, you know, obviously in the local market, I think it does affect for sure 
a lot of them have their bikes in their pits and stuff like that on display, which is really cool. Um, you know, they're flying the colors out there for us. Um, I think so. It's hard to gauge that sort of stuff sometimes. Um, but just having these guys on it and the feedback, and um, they're such good ambassadors for the sport and the brand in general. I just, mm -hmm. I just, you know, we'll we'll keep supporting it in any way we can. Yeah. yeah. When you say you're, the, you're, you know, the racing is the true north. One thing that I've noticed is like you go into Fontana, which is a huge local, not local, it's a big national mountain bike series for. It's not nationally. Uh, it's not nationally in stock. National but caliber. National caliber yeah. riders attend a local series in California um, at the same place. <clears throat> one thing, though, is I see the racing in the the, is one entity, and then the communal side of it is the other. Where Moto, it's it's kind of finding its place. You If you bought a dirt bike before, you put numbers on it, right? When you buy a dirt bike, you buy, you buy it, you put your number. Where mountain bikers, like, they might not even know who um, – the the factory intense rider is because they just want to ride. Is that a, is that something that's tough balancing like being a racing brand versus the, the just the being a communal sport in itself not too aggressive for them? Um, I think we're working on that all the time to make our bikes more accessible to a broader scope of people. Um, we don't want to alienate anyone from thinking, oh, I can't ride an intense because I'm not a racer, and that's not the case at all. In fact, we get it all the time where. Um, you know, people that are just kind of getting into the sport and th they are on their, you know, entry level bike and they finally step up and demo and intense and they go, man, I went so much faster and felt so much safer and just was more dialed on the trail. You know, it's like the bike helped me ride better, you know, and gave me more confidence and inspired me to ride even more. It's like, I just wanted to get out and ride that thing again, you know? Mm -hmm. And so... That's what drives me forward, um, really. Um, the race, racing is a huge aspect of that. But also what inspires me to design new bikes is, you know, I come up with something new that um, I get excited about. And um, it inspires me to go pedal that bike and ride it. It's that fun. You know, that's that experience. Mm -hmm. And in, in recent years, one thing that's kind of, opened me up to that again in a new way has been um e-bikes i have to admit you know mm -hmm. it's kind of a fun new thing within cycling after doing it for years and years it's kind of a new aspect to it that is brings that you know it's kind of like i feel like the little kid again out there definitely i was i was gonna bring that up next is that six seven months ago you invited me to come ride something with you you didn't tell me what it was and i showed up and it was obviously a prototype uh Taser. Yeah, it was probably longer, longer than, than that because yeah. we launched the Taser in November of last year, and it was probably six months before that because okay. you were actually on um, a prototype one. Yeah. 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 yeah Might have had the, the proto-dazzle tape. Yeah. tape on it and everything. Yeah, and um, for sure, and we just hit some trails. But I know it was a blast riding that day. It was pretty fun. Yeah, super good. So. But um, why is the sport so reluctant to wrap its arms around pedal assist. You know, it's like, I I have plenty of fun on a pedal assist. You know, when I had the taser, you know, it's funny is I rode the taser the first time I rode it when you guys sent me the demo. I was at Skyline Trails by my house and I came around a corner and one guy's all, cheater bike, cheater, you cheater. I'm like, yeah, whatever, dick. And I went the next turn and there was three, uh, three guys on 
on trail bikes resting because they were tired. And I came in there all, oh, it's the taser. They knew exactly what it was. Like, I think, one, I think it's really cool that you made them all yellow and gray. So they obviously what it is. But uh, there's some people that were pumped on it. But then more people, when I'm riding one, call me a cheater. <laughs> yeah, so and, and, and why Euro- is it like that? And, and the European market is is embraced it like open arms. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, Europe's been on it for eight to ten years now, and the market there has has grown exponentially because of e-bikes. Not only um, people just getting out on bicycles in general, but it's been really healthy for the industry. There's mm-hmm. a lot of s- small brands that have grown to big brands now through e-bikes. A lot of the you know bike shops are flourishing mm-hmm. um, because they have a new revenue stream too. You know, looking at it from that angle, and a new customer base. And Europe is very uh, commuter bike centric. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, the, they have the bike paths, bike lanes. Bikes are part of transportation, so you have that angle on it. Um, not just the off-road and recreational part of it, but a huge commuter base for um, e-bikes, which is massive in Europe and other parts of the country. North America, we're a little backwards on that one, unfortunately. Even with, I mean, bikes are considered toys. They're recreation, you know. And um, and specifically e-bikes, probably where you're getting that is from the core mountain bike group. Mm -hmm. Um, Commuters, people, I mean, e-bikes make total sense, right? Absolutely. Um, And to a whole new base of people that looking for a more efficient, um, ergocentric um, way of getting to work or going to the store or whatever, you know. So um, we're kind of just in the infancy, and there is a lot of that um, kind of advocacy sludge we got to work out and get through, I think more on the off-road side of the whole thing. Um, but people are converting every day because a lot of people just hadn't tried one. They mm-hmm. thought these things had tons of power, a throttle, and it's roosting, destroying trails, that sort of thing. Not the case at all. It's pedal assist. And so, you know, within that, it's, it's a lot of it is misunderstanding. Mm. Um, and so, I was a hater. Like before, before I, you know, you educated me and I educated myself. I, I was a hater. I well, was. I will tell you, um, even here in Intense, we were a pretty core group um, of riders. And there was a point where I realized, you know, the future of mountain biking and cycling and the electrification of two wheels is happening now. And if we don't, you know, we're, we're getting left behind. Mm-hmm. And personally, I was very curious and interested in it just on my own. But for Intense as a brand, we had we had to embrace it. And so, you know, we're playing around with it. I'd say for the first year and a half, almost two years, I couldn't get one of the shop guys to throw a leg <laughs> over one of the prototypes. It was all me riding this thing and having a blast. I was all e-bikes all the time. It was, And, you know, probably went through a couple of prototypes, alloy prototypes, before, you know, I think Chappie was the first adapter, you know, and he's a, he's a core moto guy, he's, too. Yeah, he's and, curious. And he... He just, you know, after the first ride, the big smile, and it's like, dude, it's like after that, the word spread in the shop, mm-hmm. and I couldn't, it's like, okay, I'm riding the bike this weekend, you know, it's, yeah. I got it, and it's <laughs> like, okay, People the prototypes were always out, everyone was wanting to ride them, and it was um, game on then, everyone. And when, and when you were doing those prototypes, um, unlike other um, pedal assist bikes, e-bikes, 
you're very moto moto geometry. You know, you can talk a little bit about the geometry, like what you do with the wheel sizes and all that, and why why it's like a dirt bike. Yeah, well, if we're we're talking e-bikes now, and that was a really fun project for me because um, I was just ready for it, um, and um, it was something new and exciting and something to learn. You know, batteries, motors, um, and so. Um, you know, we're going back several, maybe three, four years. And so I started sampling what was available out there. And, of course, a lot of the companies making motors and batteries were bringing us sample bikes to try. And I hate to say it, a lot of these were European brands that were coming this way. Um, and, you know, the geometry and the setup, I mean, I got an e a sample, a test e-bike that had a front derailleur on it, you know, <laughs> it's like yeah. just the geometry and the setup on them was so bad. And so right away, even on those, I'm like switching bars and changing this and, you know, whatever, um, just to kind of make them a little <laughs> closer to give a, a, a good evaluation. So what I learned early on is I had to make my own right away and, you know, put the intense spin on it, intense geometry, suspension, kinematics, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And so right away, it pretty much, um, you know, like I think um, the way the taser evolved and rode, you were riding an intense like enduro or trail bike, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so, again, that DNA permeated into the e-bike, you know, um, and it translated really well. And so I know a lot of people who had been riding e-bikes for a while when they threw a leg over the taser right away, they're going, oh, my God, this thing is like it just handles so good. And it's like, it's, you know, it's like the fatter suspension. And yeah. So right away we went with like a staggered wheel setup with, uh, you know, a, uh, what you would call a plus tire in the back, a 27.5 by 2.8 and then a 29, like a 2.5 or 2.6 in the front. Um, so you got that nice rollover. Um, you know, the, the, the trail numbers in the front fork and the way the, f the front end hooks up with a 29er and a little smaller tire, you know, it's really precise. But then when, you know, e-bikes, you tend to s stay seated a lot on the climbs and just grind your way up and you get the traction from that bigger tire. Um, it, it just works really well. Mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of funny because we started doing the, what we call 279, 27.5 and 29 or staggered on the e-bike but now we have you know um we have several models that are coming out in the near future that are actually 279 models in the pedal bikes mm. yeah and um we we learned to really like it and love it on the e-bike and realize that it translates over to pedal bikes really well too well i on that point i was riding a tracer dawn for the last 18 months two years mm -hmm. 275 and i'm now on the carbine 29er and it is because of the taser. Mm. It's because of the geometry of the taser with the bigger front wheel. And Well, the taser is a electrified carbine on suspension travel and geometry and that sort of thing, I just but got with so, the staggered wheels. Yeah, I just got so comfortable with that, that plus the bigger wheel and, like, the confidence it gave me after my crash last year. And the Tracer was a phenomenal bike. I still love it. Flickable fun, but that, that – I, that 29er stability and the geometry of that new carbine. The, the thing we did um, also early on, and um, and this was something I found when I rode a lot of, you know, the benchmark bikes that we were trying with the e-bikes, that they just felt really heavy and a little top-heavy and kind of dead on the trail. And so that was obviously an opportunity with the Taser to, to, to design it so that it was very lively on the trail. 
um, CG was really low. So, you know, a lot of people aesthetically look at it and it has this kind of belly, but that's part of, that's driven more by the design to have the battery on the underside and really low, low in the ground. bike. And it makes a huge difference. I made alloy prototypes with the batteries on top and under, you know, and the, the, the low CG makes a huge difference on the bike and where the weight is centered. And Honda just did that. And yeah. you can also um, put a water bottle in there then, too, yep. because of that. You know, it opened up that area where normally the battery was occupying or a lot of the bikes that have batteries integrated into the the down tube um, were a little felt top heavy because the battery is very close to the head tube then you know like half the battery and mm -hmm. and uh, even though it's kind of in the middle mass of the bike it's still up high and near the steering center so that affected a lot and then the kinematics on the bike had to be adjusted a little bit um because you know now you have a bike that doesn't you know isn't sub 30 pounds it's 40 to 50 pounds mm -hmm. and so you have to make adjustments for that at the same time um, I'm just going to say designed it with a little more spring energy. So it had that lively, you could kind of pop off the air spring or, you know, the spring of the bike. And it does it. You can lift the bike off the ground very easily on the mm -hmm. trail and use that weighting and unweighting, um, of, of the frame and the suspension to, you know, translate into forward momentum or to hop over things. And, um, I feel like that made a huge difference, you know, just little tweaks here and there. Um, that we pulled from, you know, our intense, you know, geometry and mm -hmm. philosophy for, for, for all of that on the pedal bikes. Let me ask you this. Um, so you do a lot of, a lot of consumer direct, right? People come walk in here and buy bikes. So the whole resistance against the e-bike movement, it's like, my thought is it's getting more people on bicycles, right? So that's good for the sports, growing everything better for the dealers it just, flourish the, the the industry a little bit do you have any data or any idea how many people have gotten into cycling because of the e-bike and then maybe also purchased a conventional like a tracer or a carbine yeah that would be interesting to know data is always really good and interesting to analyze and use to you know shape your marketing your product line you know you name it um branding different regions things like that um, so that, that would be a good one. And I'm sure someone has it out there. Um, you know, you can always learn from that sort of stuff. Um, we do a lot more of that these days, especially now that Jeb's involved. <laughs> <laughs> he loves <laughs> data. He gets very excited about data. And, you know, it, it's, it's been a learning experience too, to see how you can utilize it in different ways. Um, real numbers, analytical, you know, numbers, um, and translate that into more sales or better marketing or targeting the right customers. Yeah. Um, E-commerce e for us has been a big, um, a big step. It's been a big challenge too. There's a lot to it. It's very dynamic a lot more than people think. Um, when we made the decision to go to a multi-channel uh, marketing and, uh, you know, sales approach, it was really looking, um, to find a, a sales system that was a little more future-proof. Um, in hindsight, it probably was a little more than we, you know, we bit off a little more than we could chew initially, but we've learned a lot and we've come a long way. And we sell bikes in the areas where we don't have dealers or there's not, you know, a, a lot of accessibility for people to, for bike shops. At the same time, we realize how important bike shops are. Um, 
not only as a place for people to see and touch and demo product, but also uh, culturally within mountain biking as a place where people go and meet to do yeah. on rides yeah. and talk about bikes and yeah, see in case, the latest In case latest people stuff. didn't catch what we were talking about, in the mountain bike industry now, you can buy your bicycle online. You don't have to go to your bike shop. Where moto, you have to just so traditional stills. You have to go into the shop, see a dealer, do the four square bidding on the bike, di- knock them down. Where mm-hmm. this is, the bicycles have gotten cheaper, right? The margin on, online because you, you're taking out the dealer. Yeah, it's margin. a blend. It's a blended margin, um, so it does make the the end. Um, you know, price a little, it's a little more affordable for sure to the end consumer. And the idea in the end is we want to get our bikes to the, to the riders yeah, in the yeah. best way possible and give them the choice and the, the, the to choose the way they want to buy it. If there's someone who's embraced e-commerce and they like, you know, like shopping online, you know, and on the couch in their underwear in the evening or on a Sunday or whatever, and not have to leave the house or wherever they're at, you know, if they're in the airport and um, waiting for a flight, they could be shopping and they could, you know, purchase their bike or whatever they want. When I purchased my bike, I was, you know, I go online in my office, I buy it, I come down here, pick it up on wheel call. And what was really cool about it was I didn't need to have a toolbox. They give you a rad toolkit. Mm. The intense bike comes with a really cool to- toolkit with your torque wrench in there because everything's labeled. Like I was blown away that how easy it was. Like I was like, man, what if someone gets a bike they don't have the right hex, you know, the right torque torque spit mm. or the right Allen? Everything's ready to go. The bike's pretty well assembled, but then it comes all the torque specs. I mean, you don't need to have one tool in your garage to assemble your bicycle from intense. Hmm. It's pretty pretty awesome. That's really key to the cons- the rider direct formula. Is the packaging of the bike is really slick, the toolkit, instructions, online information, I didn't have to, manuals, I didn't have to videos. Ad- I didn't have to adjust the derailleur, but like one, I tightened the derailleur by one. one screw out just to get the shifting but it was ready to go yeah it's pretty pretty dialed i'd have to say um and that it's all about what i like to call the intense experience is really important to us and that's from the full engagement to the brand however that is through watching world cup racing or enduro this or that or your friend or a local influencer um someone like yourself local trails people seeing the bikes and um you know it's uh, very uh you know the catches their eye they go online but the we want that whole experience all the way through the process to the purchasing the bike everything customer service to be really dialed and we're work we've been working on that really hard to yeah, make it, that an exceptional what i like to call the intense experience yeah, you're working with all the way through yeah and you're working with carbon fiber like on, on mountain bikes unlike a dirt bike where it's aluminum or chromoly so torque specs are crucially important, especially with dropper posts, handlebars these days, and being given a tool pack that has a, a, to- a mini torque wrench and the right tools for the job. I feel like my experience building my sniper after I bought it was really, really seamless. You know, I, I even did a little YouTube video. I couldn't believe it myself, like how easy it was to to get the bike, put it on. It took me an hour, I think, total from unbo- putting it in my garage, unboxing it, reading the torque specs and putting it together. So it's really yeah, so good. it's it's very doable. And, you know, uh, when I first realized that this could happen for bikes is obviously when Tesla and people are buying cars, you know, basically not through the normal sales channel, you know, and um, whether they're going to a showroom in a shopping mall and, you know, having the car delivered to their house or whatever, it 
it really opened the door for people to buy, you know, like premium, like I would say, you know, for uh, e-commerce um, or online purchase, a mountain bike, especially in a tent, is a pretty high dollar item. Like most of us are used to buying things probably, we do mail order um, in, you know, maybe like the 20 to $500 range. So with with mountain bikes, we're talking three thousand to eight thousand dollar range. You're buying on, and so that's been a an interesting um, experience for us. And how you you know you got to have the consumer has to have confidence in the brand, and the whole experience has to be pretty um, top notch. Um, and so that's what we really strive to. You know, do do you guys do demos like with the you know Rider Direct? Do you, you can you come to Intense and and get a demo? Like you get to call ahead, email. How does that work with the demos? Yeah, here? there's a there's a demo tour that goes out, and we publicize that, and we work with we we obviously have um, Intense Experience Centers dealers, you know, nationwide. Um, that's growing all the time. There's more and more dealers all the time that are seeing that. Um, our, you know, um, multi-channel sales philosophy really could work for them. Um, and they want to be part of the future way of buying products, you know. And, mm. and um, so there's more and more dealers opening up all the time that will have demo fleets. Um, you know, the demo tour goes around. Someone can come to Intense Headquarters here. This is the first int intense ex and uh. foremost Intense Experience Center in Southern California. So we do get a lot of that, people coming here. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, and, and a lot of people, their first ride in an intense will be demoing their buddies or someone that they meet out on the trail. Um, one thing I find about intense owners is that they're always really welcome to let people try their bike. They're excited about it. They're just as excited to let other people know how good it works and how cool it is, you know, so they, they tend to, um, let people try their bikes out a lot. So mm -hmm. it does help for sure. Okay, so the 2020 model season, I think, is a couple weeks away by that embargo on the wall. Uh, what uh, what can you tell us about what's in store? Are you going to expand the Taser line, perhaps? Well, I'll tell you that um, the whole, you know, every year the, the whole line does get a little bit of a, a refresh, whether that's component spec changes, uh, color and graphics, that sort of thing. But there is some, you know, pr you can pretty much count on every year there's going to be a new model that um, you know is is released um, so we're pretty excited about that um, in the a new trail segment um, that'll be hitting that's pretty awesome we like to say that it really hits the mark as being true to trail the trail segment um, better than ever um, so that will be kind of like our monkey wrench bike swiss army mm -hmm. knife bike you know that the kind of the one quiver killer if you have one bike that's the one mm -hmm. um so very excited about that um yeah there'll be a uh you know we're going to expand on the taser line a little yeah. bit um some different colorways different models that sort of thing it's been very popular so i'm trying to hit some different price points on that that sort of thing for sure okay so when i rode the uh the taser that was all taped up with the prototype Actually, no, it was later when I brought that group of my Japanese friends and gave them a tour. Yeah. I saw the gravel bike back there. Okay, yeah. Any progress with that? 
Well, I'll tell you, um, because we all love bikes here and cycling in general, and we're always, you know, like, I have to admit, a lot of the products that go to market are stuff that we want for ourselves, you know, so, um, and working with a lot of pro athletes um, within mountain biking and the moto guys that train on road bikes, we Mm -hmm. did, you know, I would really like to have a um, mountain biker's road bike. Yeah that we could throw under these guys that's branded intense and also yeah we were playing around with gravel bikes a little bit and that's probably off in the distance a little more mm-hmm. um but um there's a bunch of them around here now you know because we get out <laughs> on those things and um it's I, I actually heard. it's actually inspired me to ride i'm not going to call it road because when i ride it i don't really i tailor my rides differently there's there's some road in it but a lot of like uh you know jeep trail climbs and hitting you know in temecula here there's a lot of avocado groves so there's access roads that are all jeep roads and stuff so i'll plan my road ride where it's maybe um you know half and half half road half gravel and a little single track too mm-hmm. here and there yeah i heard uh i heard old ryan dungey was on a intense bike at his ride for saint jude yeah he had a a, a prototype gravel bike it yeah. was all slick proto dazzled up yeah so he's got one that he's been playing with and and you know he's a very fitness oriented guy still um and trains and loves training and so um i just wanted to see him on an intense bike you know when he's out on the road yeah um so um it was pretty funny when we sent him that thing because gravel bikes are a little unique um and we're, we're setting them up that way so you know it's a single ring up front and then um, when he got the bike, he's going, hey, um, th- I see this thing has a dropper post, but I, I don't know. There's no lever on the bar to activate it. And then um, when I, you know, there's no front derailleur, but there's the left shifter. And I go, there you go. There's <laughs> your dropper post lever. It has now become the left shifter lever, you know, on the drop bars. And he goes, oh, man, that's so cool. So, that's so um, awesome. yeah, it's kind of a neat setup nice well hey do you have anything else i think yeah Yeah. i mean technology right like drivetrain Mm -hmm. technology how do you how do you stay up with like you know when i like i said i first bought my bike was one by ten and it was it was really two by ten but two by ten but one by ten one by by eleven one by by twelve now (laughs) it's wi-fi yeah wi-fi like yeah are you do the do the 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 shrams and shimanos of the world give a manufacturer any intel heads up of like building a bike of like hey this is coming on the pipeline because one thing i've noticed the bicycles there's no standard <laughs> there's no standard everyone's yeah. everyone's a couple mil off from everything that's a good good subject to touch on because you know for years the the freaking nemesis of a suspension designer of a mountain bike full suspension when you're designing the suspension was the freaking front derailleur and, you know, it's, it was the most crude is this little metal finger that would, like, really just force the chain <laughs> over onto it and grind against the chain and force it onto the next. So when we went to a one-by system, you know, officially a one-by-11, thank you, Shram, for that, it opened up the possibilities for suspension design in so many ways, just the architecture of the frame. You're not having to design around this front derailleur. You're not having to make a bike, the suspension system that works – through three different chain rings, 
you know, for optimization. Now you're running one chain ring up front that you could optimize your suspension, your torque lines and all that sort of stuff through. No front derailleur to have to dink around with. And it really cleaned the bikes up a lot. And for me, from being a, a frame builder, designer, suspension guy, it, that was probably the biggest thing, I have to say, um, for me. Uh, it just opened the possibilities up in so many ways and just cleaned up the whole, you know, the, the architecture of the frame, everything. So, so that was a, a big one. And, yes, um, the manufacturers do give the product guys, um, you know, heads up and usually it's a, a year out so and there's always something that we have in the hopper it takes 12 to 18 months to get a, a bike from you know idea through prototyping and into production on a new model so sometimes your product will be already baked too far that you can't take advantage of some something mm -hmm. and sometimes you hit it just right where you can actually optimize it and design it around something new and that's when it works the best but there's always communication on that stuff ahead of time yeah. there kind of has to be and and do they get mad like the sniper um i was really stoked to see have shimano brakes because in my opinion i SRAM brakes don't hold up and then you have a SRAM drivetrain so is that a is that a very tough you know you we don't have a show of fork and a kyb shock on a, on a honda you know is it tough to well you know, is that a tough conversation to have with these menu these, these suppliers when they're wanting to get the whole kit and caboodle on the bike yeah um i don't think so so much these days um you'll see spec on bikes is really important these days like we were talking very early on in in um about how good spec is these days um and the product managers have a lot more freedom these days i think to to oh, mix cool. and match as long as it's within like uh you know maybe one manufacturer won't warranty their drivetrain if you're using some combination okay. of different parts you know to sh it's because their system is designed and sh to shift really well with their components you know then normally you'll stick with that whole drivetrain for example um yeah, and certain manufacturers have really hit it on certain parts of their products, but maybe not everything, and there's consumer demand. So within Intense, uh, Chad Peterson, our um, product manager, he's got it pretty dialed these days and, you know, and knows all the right people and has the connections, and he's very intuitive, um, incredible rider himself, tests everything out, and you know, if it doesn't work for Chad, it's not going to work for anyone. Um, so he's, um, you know, it goes through a pretty stringent test process here on prototypes and all before we actually spec stuff. But, um, but that is a really important part of the whole formula for the complete bike. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's it for me, I think. Yeah. So new bikes drop in a couple of weeks. So they check the website on what day. Yeah, um, it's uh, August 20th is actually, I would say, it's like midnight of, um, there'll be some new stuff hitting the um, World Wide Web. Um, so, um, yeah, and, you know, for the last year and going, I, I've been riding and working on the 2021 stuff. <laughs> so, you know, that's always, um, and that's, really excited about that stuff but i can't talk about it yeah christy came and warned you <laughs> <laughs> well hey uh jeff thank you for your time i certainly had uh, uh, a nice time listening and learning and yeah thank you jeff it's always good to get you out of the shop 
<laughs> um, yeah, I've been pretty busy, pretty prolific these days. Um, there's, if you walk back to the R&D area, there's a lot of alloy prototypes in various stages of development at the moment. And um, yeah, we've got a big focus going right now for world champs coming up for the IFR team. And um, yeah, exciting stuff. Um, you know, we um, are a rider uh, uh, on EWS, Isabu, has done an incredible job this year. She's won every of the, the pro elite women's um, races out there on her. Um, she's riding an intense carbine this year. So some pretty amazing stuff happening all around. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Well, right. Hey, when you uh, have some prototype taped up bikes to <laughs> test, you can call me. And we'll get her. you out again. <laughs> we'll, yeah, for sure. All righty. Hey, thank you guys for listening to the uh, Swap Moto podcast presented by Fly Racing. We put our heads together to both reimagine and lift the bar on what a modern motocross helmet should be. Opt for the highest level of modern technology and energy dispersion with the Fly Racing Formula Helmet. Designed for an elevated defense against a wider range of real-world impact scenarios. Globally engineered with the most advanced materials and technologies available. Outfit yourself with proven technology, lightweight performance, and elevated impact management with the Fly Racing Formula Helmet.